The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to episode 134 of the Data Reaper podcast. I'm your host Corbett and joining me today is Zacho of the Windlord. How you doing, Zach? How you doing, Corb? Yeah, I thought it would be nice to give you a, a, a nice nickname. I know I've been picking on you with some of these uh, early ones so far. Yeah, I'll take this. I'll take this. Um, <laughs> expectations. You've done good uh, expectation management. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we had the first report of uh, audio apocalypse. And obviously there have been some discoveries and some developments since the last podcast to the report. And there's also some stuff that I'll talk about since we're recording on Sunday. Uh, then there's stuff that happened since the report as well. And I'll add more more insights to what's been going on. Uh, but obviously we do have one major issue in the class, in the format, um, which is what Paladin is turning into. Uh, but other than that, there's there's some stuff. There's some interesting stuff going on. Yeah, we only talked a week ago, but it really feels like it's been a pretty long time. Like, a lot has happened since the miniset dropped. Uh, we were so focused last episode on Hunter, and now the narrative is completely different, and the report was completely different. But we'll get into all of that stuff uh, today and explain, you know, what's been going on. And like you said, what's been going on the last few days since the report dropped. Um so listeners uh we would always remind you to you know help us out and maybe rate the podcast give a review just to always help us reach more listeners and a reminder that you can always follow us on twitter at vicious hs or come join the vicious syndicate discord to join the community and get involved with all the conversation uh so with that out of the way let's jump in zach uh let's start with paladin because paladin is the big bad paladin is the big news yeah so when we recorded the podcast last week uh, this, you know, I looked at uh, the data for Paladin, and most people played, you know, the Funk Fan Jitterbug stuff, um, the Garden's Grace stuff, uh, things that we've seen from before the mini set. And that deck, those builds look good. Like, Pure Paladin looked good, but it didn't look insane. It didn't look like a deck that was going to be the clear best deck in the game. And, uh, and then a new build appeared. And this new build started running Born of the Windlord on top of Feast and Famine and for Quel'Thalas. And the off-board burst damage potential is massive. And it eliminated Pure Paladin's biggest weakness, which is the lack of off-board damage. Uh, Pure Paladin was a deck where you could stabilize at 10 life kill their board and once you took over they could never kill you because their damage was entirely based on minions minion pressure uh and now it's no longer the case when you have horn of the windlord on top of feast and famine and for quelthalas that can boost the wind fury damage even further uh you know you can no longer stabilize against the pure paladin at a low health total and feel safe you're never safe with this deck anymore. So on top of its uh, previous strength, which is very good early game pressure, uh, ability to to generate a lot of stats early on with Disco Mall, 
as well as the Countess late game, you now have the Windlord package. And the combination of all of those things have made Paladin too, too much to handle uh, for the rest of the format. And this deck is, has spun out of control. It looks historically busted. Um, its matchup spread is insane. Pretty much the only deck that shows consistent ability to beat it to some degree is Spell Demon Hunter. And that's pretty much it. That matchup is like 40, 45% uh, unfavored for the Paladin. And maybe you have Outcast DH that's capable of doing something uh, in that matchup in terms of like it has some favorability against it. And then maybe some mage decks, uh, uh, Spooky and Burn show at least the potential to do something. But other than that, there's really nothing that that shows the ability to counter Paladin. So uh, the deck is very, very scary. And what what the off-board damage did, and we talk about it extensively in the report, is that it also changed the scale trajectory of this deck. Uh, Pure Paladin used to be the deck that regularly lost the greater uh, number of, uh, the greatest number of matchup percentages going from, you know, lower ranks of ladder into top legend. It would uh, regularly lose four, eight percent, between four and eight percent in in multiple key matchups. It would regularly underperform at top legend from 4 to 8% in its overall win rate. That's what it means. Like, uh, if you if you often took the field at top legend and you used uh, matchup data for Paladin, let's say, for, for Diamond Ranks, then Pure Paladin expected win rate would be 55%. But then you apply top legend uh, multipliers, um, top legend matchups into Pure Paladin's... Uh, performance and the win rate would be 49 it would very often happen in in when i worked on the reports i would see that pure paladin going into top legend would underperform to that degree four five six sometimes even eight percent underperformance compared to matchups at diamond so that is a significant difference but in this report uh the number was zero uh, Pure Paladin did not underperform whatsoever. Its skill trajectory has r- risen to the average mark, to around the average mark where it doesn't really gain anything, but it doesn't really lose anything, putting it at an average skill trajectory, which is a huge difference. Uh, and that means that top legend players can no longer outplay Pure Paladin because of the fact that they can no longer uh, play around the uh, Pure Paladin's lack of off-board damage. They are no longer safe, and they can get burst and bo- down uh, for 16, 20 damage very easily, uh, and uh, it, it makes it much more difficult to play around Paladin's abilities. Uh, so the, this dramatic change has turned Paladin from a deck that was a noob stomper to an everything stomper. It stomps on everything now. Uh, And uh, it's very likely going to get nerfed. Um, If there are balance changes that are coming soon, which I would expect it to happen since historically, we know that after major patches, 
after major content drops, there is usually a patch two weeks later than if my expectation of, uh, is of a patch in this upcoming week, probably means that Paladin's getting nerfed. Uh, this is the deck that's most likely getting hit. And for a good reason, because it's uh, it's right now at the point where it's choking out the format to some degree. Uh, its play rate is already upper diamond. If you want to climb to legend right now, you're going to run into 30% paladins at upper diamond. That number has ballooned to 30% over the past 24 hours. Um, and yeah, it, it's getting very popular and it's getting very, very powerful. Uh, the other thing that I'm noticing uh, in terms of top legend, for example, pure paladin is not dropping in its win rate whatsoever. There is no adjustment uh, in terms of, there's no skill trajectory cha uh, changes. It, like paladin is not underperforming. And on top of that, players are not learning how to play against pure paladin better. Right? It's not dropping in its win rate. It's not showing any of the characteristic that it's previously shown with older iteration. So there's no really, there's no correction for this other than balance changes. Yeah, we don't know exactly like when the balance changes are happening. There hasn't been any dev comment, um, but I think it's a pretty safe bet, you know, to maybe think that some changes to Paladin will be coming. Um, probably not a shocking thing whenever that happens. So we'll just have to keep an eye out about that. But Zach, you, you said a lot there. There's a lot to dig into. Um, the first thing I want to touch on is everything you talked about, about the, the skill ceiling and how Paladin has changed. Uh, I think this is something that we've always seen historically in Hearthstone, where the more, you know, one-dimensional a deck is, particularly these sort of curved stone aggro decks, whether we're talking about old mid-range hunters or, uh, questline pirate warrior or these previous iterations of pure Paladin, they're just so much more exploitable. And when you have aggro decks that have the ability to deal from hand damage, that's when things change a bit, whether we're talking about current pure Paladin or a previous aggro deck like Gadgets and Aggro Shaman. They're just, sometimes I think people are, are willing to bundle all aggro decks together, but sometimes it's apple and oranges. They're not quite the same, especially when these decks have a bit more dynamic game plan. That means that they can't get locked out. They can't just, it's not as simple as get the Paladin off board and then don't let them back on because there's always this burst, there's always this threat. And it's why these players can't really fix it. They can't really adjust to pure Paladin, even a top legend right now. Yeah, there's a um, there's often aggro decks are labeled as easy to play and uh, you know low skill ceiling, but it, not all aggro decks are the same. When aggro decks are multi dimensional and can attack you in different ways, they're often far from being you know. The, the lowest performing in terms of skill trajectory. And Agro Shaman and Mean Streets of Gadgeton is also a very good example of the deck that had several dimensions to its gameplay, uh, which meant that it was quite difficult to counter and was actually um, was relatively skill testing compared to decks that only do one thing well. And if they only do one thing well, then they're more simple to play right? There's less decision-making since you're pretty much pigeonholed into one line of play while your opponent has the potential to outplay you if they properly identify how to exploit what you cannot do well. And in the case of this iteration of Pure Paladin, it really does everything well. It has removal. 
Uh, it's got burst damage. It's got really good early game development. It's got blowout turns both in the early and the late game. It's got the Countess bailout. It's got Purator turns uh, with Light Ray. It's got good comeback potential. So it's got kind of everything you want from an initiative-focused deck, like a deck that is attacks you through the board from the early game, from the get-go, but has multiple ways of winning in the late game once it gets to its upper curve. Um, so it, it, that's, that's a situation. That's why Pure Paladin is so good right now. That's what makes it different from its older iterations. Uh, is there anything else you really want to get into with Paladin, or have you touched on pretty much everything there is to say? Uh, I mean, we are like we've we've talked about the right build, uh, the difficulties that the players are having. Um, is there anything else going on in the class that you wanted to touch on? Not really, but I will say that um, since uh, you know I've floated in the report the possibility to drop Kotori mm. for Order in the Court, I'm seeing some people started to run Order in the Court as the thirtieth card. And my impression is that Order and Court is actually better. And Order and Court is a pretty good card in the deck. Uh, I think um, there is, you know, a logical reason to say that Order and Court is not good in this deck. Because when you have Horn equipped, you want to draw Feast and Famine. You want to draw Foquelthalas. And if you've ordered your deck, then you're going to find Horn, but you're not going to find the attack modifiers that make the Horn so insane. But the thing is, what, what's good about Order and Accord in this deck is that it's more of an insurance policy for games where you didn't draw Purator, because this deck is very reliant on Purator. Purator is the best card in the deck by far. Uh, games where you find Purator are so much, you have such a bigger chance of winning the game. And if you don't draw Purator, you, you're kind of, you can kind of whiff sometimes. And in that situation, Order and Accord can save you. On top of it, playing Order in the Court after you played Purator finds you Countess instantly, which can also be quite important. So even though there's no great synergy with Horn, uh, I think Order in the Court is a good insurance policy card, which puts it above Katori for me, because Katori really, other than Hand of a Dull, and for Quelthalos, maybe in the late game, in order to double up the burst from Horn, a very situational scenario. Uh, it doesn't really do much. So I do recommend Run Order in the Court just as an insurance policy. With the games where you don't find Purator, it can still give you an avenue to get to your late game. Yeah, something I, I tried order in the court uh, on the suggestion from VS because I didn't I didn't like the way Katori looked. Um, one thing I will say is that when you play order your most common turn seven play is going to be Leviathan. And at that point, you can go fetch a uh, Feast and Famine from the bottom of the deck. So as long as that you- That is true. As long as you already have like maybe one or even two, like, you know, buffs in hand by the time you play order, it usually doesn't matter. So it works itself out most of the time. That is true. Since you can dredge with Leviathan, you can find the Feast and Famine and set up your horn. Uh, that is a good point and- just makes order good, I think, and makes the deck even better. I'm not sure I wanted to do that, but uh, here we go. Other Paladin archetypes, I don't really see much of them. It's it's pretty much uh, pure. Uh, Mech Paladin is quite bad in the current format because it just there's no chance against pure. Uh, it's it's too good right now, uh, and obviously Big Paladin 
didn't really get anything. I mean, Dance Floor is a really good card in that deck. Uh, and Cold Field as well. I think those are two good additions, but the deck's still functionally uh, just not good. All right, then moving on from Paladin. Paladin's seen a whole bunch of new stuff. Demon Hunter, mostly the same, with the exception of Spell Demon Hunter, of course. Uh, Zach, let's dig into Demon Hunter. Yeah, um, obviously Spell Demon Hunter is back uh, to the dismay of many players. Uh, the deck is really good. It's very different right now. Um, since you're not running Sinful Brand, I mean, talked about this in the... Uh, last podcast, uh, this deck is all in right now on uh, Sethino combos with Abusive Sergeant and through Felon Flames. Uh, and since the deck is heavily reliant on executing that combo properly, it's more difficult to play than it was before. Uh, it's a deck that's only good at top legend, but at top legend, it has a, a, a tier one win rate. Uh, it is the only deck in the format um, that can beat Paladin consistently, which makes it very attractive. However, I will say that since the report came out, I'm seeing a more conscious effort to counter Spell Demon Hunter, and its win rate is dropping. And it's safe to say that it's no longer a Tier 1 deck at Top Legend. Uh, it's more of a Tier 2-ish deck, uh, if we're talking based on you know the last few days since the report. Uh, but it is a deck that's very, obviously, frustrating. Uh, because of the fact that it can OTK you so quickly, especially this iteration that's just, you know, all in on the Lady Sethino combo. But again, this deck has counters, uh, things like uh, Blood Death Knight uh, does very well to 30-70 matchup because you don't have a lot of damage, especially now without Sinful Brand. You're all in on Sethino and some Blood Death Knights run rats, but it doesn't even matter. Like, I don't think you need rats to like you can gain so much health that it makes it and just put stuff on the board makes it very difficult for the demon hunter to otk you uh also enrage warriors are very good is a very pretty bad matchup um enrage warrior is good against all demon hunter decks because their board development through imbued axe and the snowballing nature of their buffs with chorus rifts and stuff often puts the board out of range of arcanist to unleash fell um and if Arcanus Unleashed Fell doesn't kill the the board that the warrior develops, then they just, okay, so you, you've injured my board. I'm just going to swing with my axe again. And uh, all of your supposed uh, removal is uh, completely invalidated. Um, so there are decks that, that do well against it. Spooky Mage is another one that I've been playing just to, to beat. Spell DH, and it's very effective, even though Spooky Mage obviously has other issues in the format. Uh, but there are ways to beat it. It's not a Paladin deck, uh, that's for sure. It's a deck that has a lot of counters. Now, other decks, you've got Relic DH, and Relic DH is solid right now. Again, it's not an amazing deck. It definitely has problems. Obviously, the Spell Demon Hunter matchup is still as horrible as it was before. Um... And uh, and Rage Warrior is a bad matchup, but it's pretty good against you know the Control Priest, the the Blood Control Death Knight, the slow attrition grindy decks. Relic Age does very well against them. Spooky Mage as well. Um, so again, it it kind of is a late game uh, dominant deck that just uh, forms decks that sit in AFK. Um, 
and loses to decks that proactively try to win, which which puts it at a reasonable spot, but not definitely not an overpowered one. Outcast is having some problems. Um, I think over the last few days, though, Outcast DH did get better because it does have a favorable matchup against Pure Paladin. And this deck is one of the most difficult decks to play in the format. So a top legend, I would expect over time to see that advantage against Pure Paladin rise. Um, and that makes the deck better. Um, I think that if you're basing it off the last few days, Outcast DH definitely is on the upward trajectory. But it does have issues, right? It's really bad against Death Knights of all kinds. It's bad in Demon Hunter Mirrors because it loses to Relic, it loses to Spell, it loses to Big, it loses to all the other Demon Hunter archetypes. So if you're running into a lot of Demon Hunters and you're running into a lot of Death Knights, then it doesn't feel great. But if you're running into a lot of Paladins, then it may feel a lot better. Uh, and it's also okay against Enrage Warrior. I think it's a, it's a pretty close matchup. So overall, I think Outcast has gotten a little bit better since the report. Uh, but again, it's a very difficult deck to play and it's not too accessible. So you can't really expect it to, to rise and play and you know counter Pure Paladin to a significant degree. And then you've got Big DH, which is a good deck, definitely. Um, but again, you're going to have a tough time uh, against Spell DH if you're playing at, that, at those ranks. And you're going to have a very difficult time against Rage Warrior and Pure Paladin as well. I think uh, Big DH out of all the Demon Hunter decks is the worst one against Pure Paladin because it's the most passive in the early game. Uh, and it doesn't have, its removal toolkit is really poorly positioned against whatever Paladin is doing. The Demon Hunter class is just so unlike the things that you usually see for a four set meta. It is so diverse. Um, and usually in, you know, these early expansions, it's pretty typical that a class only has one or two options. And that's what you're seeing for the most part. Um, it is just incredible the position this class is in and ideally you know all the other classes would be looking like this to have a slew of options uh so I, I don't know like what is it do you think that has kind of allowed this to happen is there anything you can pinpoint exactly or do you think it's just the happy coincidence that all these demon hunter decks are all kind of working out i think demon hunter just got multiple sets of that weren't just blank sets right mm -hmm. very often when a class uh is lacking diversity, uh, for example, Rogue. It's because Rogue, over the last year, got a lot of blank sets that didn't do anything for it. Uh, so it kind of skipped sets. Uh, and it's kind of, it got Miracle Rogue because uh, uh, the Nathria set was pretty good. And it supported Miracle Rogue very well. And it's still carrying off of that. But when you look at its Sunken set, you look at its March set, you look at its... Uh, this most recent set of Festival of Legends, a lot of blanks, a lot of cards that just don't see play and are not relevant, which leads to a class just having no options. Uh, and, but on the other hand, Demon Hunter got multiple good sets, multiple meaningful sets that supported multiple archetypes. And this is why we, we are where we are with Demon Hunter. Uh, I think Demon Hunter, even though it's popular, the fact that it's um, uh, comprised of four different decks um, is a good thing. Um, and if that leads to a class's popularity, then that that's what happens, right? It, like if a deck, if a class has a twenty percent play rate, and it's because of it's comprised of four different archetypes, 
that see decent amount of play, then I think we're in a much better situation compared to a class that sees 20, 25% player because it's just one deck. I think you should treat that differently. I do think that Spell Demon Hunter is a deck that's very unpleasant uh, to play against because of the Sathino combo. Previously, it was Sinful Brand, but now with the Sathino combo being so powerful, I'm hearing a lot of complaints about, about that play pattern. Uh, but the other Demon Hunter archetypes I think are important in this format, uh, especially Big and Relic. Uh, Relic DH is like the one deck that stops Control Priest from being overly good. I, I don't think we want to reach a situation where Control Priest is one of the best decks and you regularly run into Priest Mirrors that uh, trap people for an hour into the <laughs> in one game. Uh, and we know that Control Priest, when it's really, really good, uh, it creates a very negative reaction. Uh, personally, I don't mind Control Priest that much, but I do recognize that if it's one of the best decks, then that happens. So I think that Relic DH serves an important role in the format, and uh, we should probably keep it around. Uh, and, and same for Big DH. I think those decks are healthy decks to have in the format. Outcast DH is a healthy deck to have in a format. Spell DH. I can see why uh, people are uh, complaining about it. I think uh, there is a justification. Uh, if you get OTK'd on turn six without any meaningful interaction or <laughs> any meaningful, there was no meaningful event leading up to it, then that can be very unpleasant. Uh, so I can see them doing something about that. But uh, other than that, I think Demon Hunter is in a good spot. And I really wish that all classes were at this kind of spot where they had multiple different distinct archetypes to to choose from well there's also death knight that has the same thing <laughs> exactly i was gonna say leading into the next class which will always have distinct archetypes uh death knight i don't know if always i don't know if we should uh, uh take it for granted but uh yeah the death knight uh, does have distinct archetypes and but i will say that none of them are particularly powerful right now um blood death knight is you know, it's got the Spell Demon under matchup. I think that keeps it somewhat relevant at high MMRs. And at lower ranks of ladder, it's always been a little bit better. Blood Death Knight's uh, skill trajectory, uh, even though it's a control deck and a lot of people overestimate uh, how difficult control decks are to play, it, it does have a negative skill trajectory. Uh, it's not a minus four, minus six uh, at the level of older iteration of Pure Paladin. But I would say it regularly hits minus 2%, underperforms at, at top legend matchups compared to the rest of ladder. Um, so it, it's got that. And also it's very easy to counter. Um, and I do sense that even though it's got the Spell Demon Hunter matchup, which is very, very good, I'm noticing more of an increase in its counters. You've got Relic DH, you've got Control Priest. The Pure Paladin matchup has gotten a lot harder because of the off-board burst, your removal deck, right? You're, you rely on removing your opponent's board. You don't really have a great option to deal with Horn into, you know, Feast and Famine and, and that kind of burst damage that can definitely catch you. And in Rage Warrior, even though it's a deck that's relatively fast, is pretty tough matchup because they, they have all the time in the world to, you know, enrage through... Uh, Anima, anima Extractor and get a big Ogra or Gromish or um, Remordia 
and just kill you with that. You don't really have a lot of options to deal with that. So there are plenty of things that that counter blood, and I think the deck is hovering between tier two and tier three at this point. Frost as well is a deck that's not really doing particularly great right now. Uh, it's got a lot of bad matchups. Pure Pell, then that matchup flipped completely because of Horn of the Wind Lord and Feast and Famine. Feast and Famine means you can. It's very difficult to race the Paladin now. Uh, this matchup before the mini set would frost uh death knight would do is it would just freeze uh the paladin's board and Baldin was all of its damage was reliant on board and it would win the race right because it would deal damage while the paladin would just sit there like a doofus and not be able to do anything because its board was locked and now what happens instead is that the frost aggro death knight cast Frost Room's Fury and freezes the Paladin's board. And the Paladin says, uh, oh no. Anyways, Horn of the Windlord, Feast and Famine, smack you in the head, heal for a billion, and good luck trying to burn down the Paladin from that position. Uh, so that matchup has, has gone a lot worse. Uh, and it, when you add, you know, things like Spell Demon Hunter, which is also a difficult matchup for Frost, and Enrage Warrior, which is another difficult one, and Hound Hunter which is another new emerging deck with life gain options to swing back and win the race against you. Then Frost, Aggro, Death Knight is really not in a great position. And uh, even in this report, you can see a top legend where the meta is more advanced and the deck drastically falls off. This is also the number one deck in terms of the worst skill trajectory. Now that Paladin went to the average, uh, Frost Aggro Death Knight, based on this report, is the uh, the deck with the the lowest skill ceiling in the format. This is the deck that uh, top players are most likely to outplay uh, out of everything else. And you know that's not a great title to have as a deck. And that means that if you're looking at high MMR level, then Frost is tier three flirting with tier four, you know, that kind of area looks pretty bad. The best Death Knight deck, though, is Unholy. Um, and this isn't uh, really reflected in the stats for the last report, but this is because it was not refined. People were just uh, focused on Yodler stuff, and they were trying to build Yodler deck with Death Growl, and they were excited about that, and they were really baited by that. Uh, but the truth is that the Yodler build is just bad. They're just um, tier four, tier or like top of tier, low bottom of tier three at best kind of builds. Uh, the, that that's a level of performance you're seeing from those. While you know the older iteration with just a few card changes are just much better and closer to tier one um, compared to you know the Yodler build. So. What I am seeing is that people are dropping the Yodler builds uh, gradually. It's going to take some time, but they're doing it. And they're building, you know, they're going back to the older iterations. The build in the report that we have is actually quite novel. I'm suggesting let's cut Plague Strike. It's not a great card and it's pretty bad with Megatha. Uh, and just run um, Boneflinger, which is a card that we know is kind of good in Undead decks based on its performance in Undead Priest. So let's do that. Let's maximize Megatha and uh, you know, 
draw five cards and kill your opponent with that. Uh, so, you know, drawing five cards is pretty good. Uh, the only spell in the deck that you run is Grave Strength. And, you know, the rest of the build is the same. And it's it's very well-rounded. And it's a deck that I think in the early day game can outpace Paladin in some games. Uh, it definitely has a chance. That matchup is close to 50-50. And I dare say that Unholy, a refined Unholy Death Knight, may have the smallest of edges in that matchup uh, against Pure. Yes, because uh, not only do you have a really fast early game, uh, you know, Unholy has a very dominant early game. It's very good against Paladin in the sense where uh, in most matchups, it's going to be the first to take the board. Uh, and on top of that, you have Nerubian Swarm Guard, which is a very good card against Horn of the Wind Lord. And if the Paladin doesn't, you know, control your board, then Grave Strength can, it can be really good in the race. Um, and it's not a burn deck. It's not like Frost Aggro Death Knight, which is very reliant on Born, so you're very vulnerable to Feast and Famine. Unholy is chill. Unholy is fine. Uh, sitting around and doing damage through the board. If you don't deal with its board, then you know you're not going to win the race. So I think Unholy has a good chance of having a small edge against Paladin, uh, which is quite a feat. Uh, but again, it's not refined, so the aggregated stats are not going to reflect that very well. Uh, but I can't tell you that the best Unholy build is probably a tier one contender. This conversation that you're outlying between um, Frost Death Knight and Unholy Death Knight, uh, we touched on it a little bit last week, where it is sort of the overwhelming theme for these aggro decks, where burn and chip damage is kind of out, and we need more board presence, and you know we we want to like thirty to zero players a little bit more. Where you we haven't got to them yet, but. Decks like Burn Mage, decks like Undead Priest, uh, you know, Frost Death Knight, they look a lot worse in the current format, whereas, you know, things like Totem Shaman or uh, Unholy Aggro Death Knight in Rage Warrior, uh, these are doing much, much better uh, compared to these other versions. And whether, I, I suppose that is just due to the amount of healing that is now in the format uh, with Feast and Famine and Pure, with the Hound um, and everything going on there. Yeah. Like, not only do you have more healing, you have healing in pretty fast decks. Mm. Like, Hound Hunter and Pure Paladin are not defensive decks. They're not defensively minded. They're pretty fast decks, and yet they have lifesteal options to win races. So when they face the burn decks, they pretty much win because they win the board, right? They win the board battle since the burn decks are less built to win board. And then... When the burn decks try to race them by hitting their faces, they've got recovery tools, uh, which makes them win these races and makes the burn decks look positioned pretty poorly in this format compared to before the mini set. So we're definitely sensing some change that burn is kind of uh, on the on the fringes in the format, kind of been pushed out to some degree, or at least decks that are very reliant on burn are without the ability to build intimidating boards uh, are, are, are looking weaker. So there's definitely a, a dramatic difference uh, there. So moving on, let's get into Warriors, Zach. Uh, Warriors being one of the more interesting classes so far. I know that you had a fun time last week preparing for the report, um, going through a lot of the Warrior decks and suggesting the changes. So where are we at with this class now? 
Yeah, uh, Warrior is looking very good. Uh, and Rage Warrior is the second best deck in the format, considering that it's the second best to this pure Paladin iteration. There's no shame in that. Um, and Rage is, is looking very, very good. Its matchup spread is insane. It does have its counters, mostly. Uh, obviously, the Paladin matchup is kind of hard. Um, and it's 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 got great dif greater difficulty against Control Priest. Uh, that matchup is pretty tricky. It's winnable, and I I do feel I sense that if you know what you're doing as the in, in Rage Warrior, you can definitely do better because that matchup is all about uh, finding Animax Tractors and getting a good Sun Fury Champion turn where you enrage and buff one of your threats and just burst the Control Priest down in order to circumvent their removal. This is how you win that matchup, and it it can be quite tricky. And I'm I'm sensing, I'm feeling that players at low ranks of ladder are not that uh, proficient in, in Enrage Warrior are going to struggle with this more. While maybe top legend players are going to do better in that matchup because they they know what they're doing. They they know what their path to victory is in that matchup. Uh, but but other than that, it, it, I think it looks pretty well positioned against everything. It's a very good deck against both Demon Hunters and Death Knights. Uh, and again, even though the mat, the Paladin matchup is not good, it's uh, slightly unfavored. You definitely have a chance. Uh, there's definitely agency there, and you have some sort of control. Uh, in terms of builds, I do like taunts in this format. This is why the build in the report runs both Flunky and Treasure Guards. Uh, the thing is, Flunky and Treasure Guard keep your hand size because they maintain resources. Um but the difference between them and Roaring Applause is that they can be quite clutch in the late game, especially against Paladin. Uh, Paladin, the thing about Paladin, the strange thing about Paladin is that Horn of the Windlord means you want taunts, but you don't want to spend a lot of mana on them. Because if you have a big taunt, then Horn of the Windlord just, you know, shrinks it to a 3-3 and bypasses it. But when you run a lot of cheap taunts, it can get quite annoying. Things like uh, Nerubian Swarm Guard, for Unholy Aggro Death Knight, is a very annoying card for Paladin to deal with because they have to waste all of their horn charges just to get through so they don't have a pathway to your face. And Flunky is a very similar card in which you play a cheap taunt for two mana and you discover another taunt. You can play it on the same turn and that way you can kind of stall out the Paladin. So those taunts, cheap taunts, do have value in the late game against Paladin. And But the main thing is that they're very good in general in a deck that runs Chorus Riff, because whenever you can buff a taunt, then you you kind of it kind of leads to you having more control of the board, and you're able to protect your other minions. And sometimes you can damage these big taunts and buff them with a Bued Axe, which makes it more difficult for the opponent to be able to deal with your threats. Um, and they're good targets for Jam Session as well. These cards are quite good, and I'm liking them a lot over Roaring Applause, which is a card that is more situational in its usage and doesn't really impact the board, and sometimes you just get stuck and don't have a board, and then Roaring Applause is really bad. Well, Flunky gives you something to do. Um, but the Enrage Warrior build, look, I think, looks very clean. Uh, you cut Instrument Tech, you cut Acolyte of Pain, you cut the cards that don't really impact the board that well. Uh, and just focus on, you know, getting the anima extractor turns. In, in slow matchups, you're trying to buff Ormornia, Ogra, Grom. 
in faster matchups, you're just trying to snowball, get to build a board, get imbued axe, win that way. Um, obviously, this is also a way to win with slower matchups, but when you're facing things like Blood Control Death Knight and Control Priest that have the ability to clear your boards repeatedly, then you're looking for that, for that big anima extractive turn to buff one of your big threats and just kill them off the board with one turn without their ability to, to deal with it through removal. Um, so it's a very versatile deck. Um, I would say it's also based on metrics. Uh, I'll give you a little tidbit. The five decks with the highest skill ceilings in the format. Number one is Miracle Rogue. Number two is Outcast Demon Hunter. Then it's Spell Demon Hunter. Then it's Control Priest. And fifth is Enrage Warrior. Those are the decks that have the highest skill trajectory in the current format. And obviously, um, you can't compare them to decks of the past because skill ceiling is something that's very relative. You can only measure it based on the other decks in the format, right? If there's a Garot Rogue in the format, it's going to bring down the skill ceilings of all other decks because it's so big brain, right? Uh, it gets an advantage at high levels against all decks, all other decks. So those decks are going to look worse. So you can't really, everything is relative. But for this format, these are the top five. So Enraged Warrior does have good player agency. And uh, it, it's very flexible in what you can do with it. Then you've got Menagerie Warrior. And Menagerie Warrior is super interesting to build. Uh, one of the most uh, intriguing decks to work on in the format for sure. Uh, and very tricky to build because you want to run both Abyssal Bassist and you want to run Backstage Bouncer. Both of these cards are very good uh, for this archetype. So the build in the report tries to do, you know, taking all sorts of conclusions that, you know, I've analyzed in data and figured out um, we want Bouncer and Bassist. We want Magatha because the card is really nutty in this deck. You run two spells. Uh, and Rancher is a good card, but in the context of having a lot of one-drops, but a, if you run too many one-drops, then your late game sucks, and you kind of lose to Blood Control Death Knight very hard uh, if you don't have a good enough late game. And Zola is kind of insurance policy for those late game matchups because you can combo it with Boon. Basically, if you have, you, you can have one Amalgam Band, just a one copy in your hand. And if you Voon Zola, you can just have infinite copies. <laughs> As many as you want. And in the late game, that matters a lot. Uh, and on top of it, you want to maximize your tribe count. So this deck strangely runs a few one-offs. Generally, I don't like running one-offs. Because the stats always tell you that there is one card that's always better. Uh, so usually, you don't really want to run a lot of one-offs. But in the case of Menagerie Warrior, you kind of want to diversify your tribe count. Which is why you have the Stereo Toad and Rolling Stone split, and you're running a single Razor and Friend Rockstar because it's worse than Mermaid in terms of tribe acceleration. Uh, so you get to that weird spot. There, there's a there's a few one offs, but it makes sense for this specific deck because of Power Slider, because of one Amalgam Band. You really want to get to count eight. Uh, you want to you want a one Amalgam Band that has all keywords as quickly as possible. Yeah, very interested to see where Menagerie Warrior ends up landing, because I know it is just so challenging to get it right. Um, even if I hate the one of Zack, they're so ugly. This is breaking my fundamental rule of Hearthstone 
uh, seeing all these, but I'll allow it. It's, you know, it makes sense. I also struggle with it, but I realize that it's probably the best direction. Um, it, it's a very interesting deck. This is one of my favorite decks, I think, from this expansion. Just because it's so minion dense, basically it's all minions, it, it doesn't feel like that. When you play it, especially in late game matchups, it's almost like a combo deck <laughs> where you're like, you're assembling pieces, you're assembling one amalgam bands, and then you reach the ultimate Voon turn. And you kind of have infinite life gain and infinite resources. So, But you need to build, build yourself into that position. You need to set it up over a, a long uh, 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 process. And it just feels very satisfying to get to the end point. Uh, so even though it's very minion dense and you would think like it's an aggressive curve deck or something like that, it really is not like that at all. Like in all aggressive matchups, you are the control deck. Against every aggro deck, you are the one trying to stabilize. You want to get to an amalg one amalgam ban and win through that. And in, in, in attrition grindy decks, like against attrition grindy decks, yeah, you can curve out sometimes. But very often, you're trying to build into the infinite plan where you just churn out threats until they can't deal with them anymore. Uh, and that's also satisfying. So the deck is really interesting and cool. And again, it's not as simple as it looks. Uh, but I do, like, in this format, it isn't great because it's terrible against Paladin. Um, so, but once, I think, once Paladin gets nerfed, I think this deck is going to have more to say. Uh, in the in an upcoming format, because I do think that it's got a matchup spread that at least in the absence of a an oppressive paladin matchup, uh, I think it do something and, and looks better. And, and also, it, it was pretty difficult to refine. So most builds on ladder are not not the most optimal stuff that you can run. So it's got room for improvement. When it comes to control warrior, though, pretty awkward deck. Um, you know, basis is good, but then you need to run Sword Eater. I talked about it in this report. I don't think the cards that it got added, uh, I don't think the additions are, you know, super maximize its potential. Uh, so it, it's kind of still floundering. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you jumped in there, Zach, because I actually completely forgot about Control Warrior's existence. You also forgot about it last week. I know, I know. I mean, look, I think it's better for everyone involved if we try not to think about a uh, control warrior right now. I mean, it's not really... The thing is, this deck is very different. It's kind of a big deck. It's a hybrid of a control and a big deck. Um, it, it doesn't really try to grind you down to dust with removal. It's more of a building thing. It, it proactively builds its threats, so it's not really the... You know, Dr. Boom, Rise of Shadows iteration, uh, or even the Sunken City iteration. Though the Sunken City iteration, again, was pretty proactive in, in its desire to kill you. Sometimes it was just from the depth into Nelly, and you would just die. Uh, and this one also, you play Black Rock and Roll, and you start, be, you know, dropping big threats. It doesn't really play defensively that much. Oh, no, it wasn't the fact that it plays defensively. It's just, it's a bit embarrassing where it's at still. Uh, so, you know, I, I, for the control warriors benefit, I try not to think about it. I guess, I guess so. Um, speaking of control, but uh, I don't want to control think about. priest. Yeah. <laughs> control priest. Uh, you know, I, I, in the last podcast, I was kind of bigging up this deck, but 
the thing is, whenever this deck looks remotely good, for like a couple of days, mm -hmm. it really is incredible. People are just hard targeted. Slam um, it. Yeah. Yeah, slam it. Now, look at the report. You look at Spooky Mage. It's a tier four deck. Why do people play it? Why do I play it? Because it beats Spell the Asian Control Priest. And that's all I care about right now, Corpse. That's all I care about. <laughs> and everybody's playing Spooky Mage will tell you the same thing. It beats Control Priest. It beats Spell the Age. I'm good. I, I don't care. Like, and Rage Warrior is a skip matchup. That's fine. Relic the Age is a skip matchup. Hound Hunter is a skip matchup. Fine. As long as I don't lose to these two decks. Um, and Control Priest really does draw that reaction where whenever it's remotely good, immediate reaction to counter it. Um, and yeah, people are doing that. There's more Relic the Age. Uh, the... There's more, you know, Spooky Mate suddenly appears and just to, to counter this deck and does nothing else other than countering this deck. And obviously, Spell Demon Hunter is not an easy matchup, but the pure Paladin matchup is really the difference maker. Since the last podcast where I was bigging up this deck, I saw a matchup against pure Paladin. Okay, it looks okay against pure Paladin. It's not bad. But then Horn of the Windlord comes in with Feast and Famine and for Quelthalos, you've got Offboard Burst and the matchup turned red so fast like control priest has become countered by pure paladin this matchup is trending into 30 70 territory it's between 30 and 35 percent for the priest that's like a 10 percent swing i think it was about a 10 percent swing that happened within a couple of days since the horn of the windlord build appeared so that is a dramatic change, and obviously Control Priest in the current format where Pure Paladin is so good and runs so much off-board damage, not ideal. I do think, though, that if you'd want to do well with Control Priest, you kind of have to run Double Viper. Uh, because Double Viper... Viper is an insane card against Paladin. Not only is it good against Horn of the Windlord, it's also good against Disco Mall. If, you, if they play Disco Mall on two, and you Viper that, you get so much breathing room to the point where you can stabilize. And even if they do equip the Windlord, the Horn of the Windlord later in the game, you're not super far behind. Like as long as you they play Wind, Horn of the Windlord when you're not behind, if you're ahead on the board and they play the Windlord, it's much more difficult for them to finish off the game. So uh, Viper is huge in that matchup. And I do recommend it if you do decide to run Control Priest. But obviously, you're going to run into some skip matchups. Uh, Relic Demon Hunter is very, very tough. Uh, the Spooky Mage players popped up, and that matchup is also really, really difficult. Uh, I've played that matchup in both sides. I've played Spooky Mage, and I've played some Control Priest because I needed to get some quests done. I need to do it for the Shadows, uh, for the Shadow Card uh, quest. Don't, don't judge me. It's really hard. That matchup is really hard for the Priest. Um... But yeah, Control Priest not in a great position. But if they do nerf Paladin, and maybe, I don't know, maybe they nerf Demon Hunter too. I think that deck uh, has the potential to, to be more powerful in a post-patch meta. And that kind of spooky a little bit. So, you know, I would hope they don't nerf Relic DH because that's, that's the main deck that really keeps it in check. That makes sure that Control Priest isn't too good.
I was wondering when you were talking about the matchup moving towards 30-70, is that even with the Control Priest mostly playing double Viper? Or do you think that, that we can we could stop the bleeding? Yeah, it can definitely stop the bleeding. Most large majority of Control Priests on ladder do not run Viper right now. So if they start running Viper, I'm sensing that they're probably going to be some swing back in the matchup. But uh, this is without Viper. Everybody's running Dirty Rat. Come on, guys. Yeah, Control Priest, I, I feel like no matter what I'm going to say, they're not going to listen. They're not going to care. They're going to run Dirty Rat. Dirty Rat, I will, I will say, admittedly, is good against Spell Demon Hunter. But that's it. If you count the number of pure Paladins on ladder compared to the number of Spell Demon Hunters on ladder, I'm pretty sure that Viper makes more sense than Dirty Rat right now. Um, so... And Dirty Rat is a horrible card against Paladin. I don't want anybody to tell me that Dirty Rat is good against Paladin because you can maybe pull the Countess. No, that's not happening, guys. That That's not something that you can rely on. The Pure Paladin is very dense with minions. And sometimes you're going to Dirty Rat and they're going to pull out their Leviathan and you're going to lose the game. Dirty Rat is a terrible card against Paladin. And it's also a terrible card against pretty much almost any deck in the format that's not Spell DH. And it's not as effective against Relic DH as, as people think. It is not. Not not anywhere near close. They have a lot of minions. And it, it's just not effective. Like, just, just forget it. It, it. It's only good against Spell DH. I did the, the Thor analysis of it. I guess it's maybe a little bit good against Miracle Rogue, but how many Miracle Rogues do you see on ladder? And you definitely don't need Dirty Rat to beat Miracle Rogue. That matchup is pretty good for you, to, uh, regardless of uh, of running Rats or not. So uh, run Viper if you want to stem the bleeding and make the pure Paladin matchup more bearable. When it comes to Undead Priest, um, this deck has kind of vanished. And it vanished very, very quickly. Uh, so what I'm sensing from Under Priest is it's a deck, it's an aggressive deck, it's a burn deck. So all of the matchups you think about, you know, that gain life, pure paladin, hound hunter, that kind of stuff, turns sour for the Under Priest, and Under Priest has fallen off pretty hard. And now that it's a mediocre aggressive deck, you know, aggressive decks if they're mediocre, they don't see play. People play aggressive decks that are strong. Usually, they're gonna be there's gonna be a tier one aggressive deck, or there's gonna be a couple of tier one aggressive decks, and people are gonna play those. They're not gonna look at the tier three aggressive deck. Um, so, Under Priest kind of lost all of its relevance, uh, and it's fading out. Also, it got no new cards, so there's nothing exciting about it. Yeah, that that part also hurts for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, no one ever wants to play like the fifth, sixth, seventh best aggro deck in the format. It's usually very hard for it to uh, get much of a grip when that's going. So that's tough. Yeah. Now, when it comes to Hunter, uh, you know, I bigged up Hunter uh, in the last podcast, and I think I, I still stand by. It. You look at Hunter, Hound Hunter; it's the third best deck in the format through most ranks of ladder. And pretty much the one thing that holds it back is the Pure Paladin matchup. Uh, once Pure Paladin started running Horn and Feast and Famine, Feast and Famine is a very good card against Hunter for obvious reasons. That matchup became really, really difficult for the Hound Hunter. And you can see, you, you go to the app, you look at Hound Hunter's, Hound Hunter's matchup. The, the Pure Paladin is the big red. 
Pure Paladin is the one thing that stops it from being uh, really quite powerful. Uh, I think Unholy Death Knight, I think, probably has an edge against it, especially when it's refined. It's going to beat Hound Hunter. Uh, uh, there's also other stuff. I'm saving it. Uh, and Rage Warrior has a small edge against Hound Hunter as well. But other than that, Hound Hunter is very well positioned. And the build that we have in the report, which is uh, Peaky's build, but we changed one card. We dropped the Faithful Companion. We added Theron. Because Theron is a really good card in this archetype in general. Uh, I saw it from uh, Renathal builds. Uh, so I think it makes sense to run in this build as well. Because everything, you know, once you run uh, Hollow Hound, uh, you see it in, in Blood Control Death Knight 2. Uh, then Theron becomes really good. Uh, it becomes a way to um, really spike your late game to the point where all of your, your draws become really good. And Hollow Hound after Theron is kind of insane. Uh, so the build in the report, I really like it. I think it's well positioned. I think it's uh, it's versatile. Again, kind of like Pure Paladin where Hunter got things that didn't have before, which is comeback potential and swings through both Hollow Hound and Star Power. Star Power, personally, is one of my favorite cards in this mini set because it gives Hunter a new dimension. Suddenly, it's got a removal. Right? Suddenly, it's got a way to deal with large threats. Uh, and, you know, it can have a board and the opponent opposes it with its own board and it plays star power, clears the opponent board, swing phase. So even though it's a card that doesn't hit phase, it helps the hunter continue the pressure. Um, so I really like it. I'm a big, big fan of the deck in terms of what it did for the class because, uh, you know, before uh, the mini set, Hunter kind of struggled to find an audience. Like, nobody was interested in playing Hunter. There was, like, the Naga facey Hunter. And we said it was pretty good. It was a pretty good deck, but nobody cared to play it. But it seems that Star Power and Hollow Hound kind of gave it a more interesting spin that made more players uh, interested in piloting it and playing the deck. And the deck has a pretty good audience right now. I do wonder if, if you're going to nerf Paladin then it's it's likely that there will be some thinking of nerfing Hunter too, uh, because if you if you nerf Paladin, then Hunter is kind of like the matchup spread looks very green. I am personally hoping they don't nerf Hound Hunter uh, preemptively, because I think for a deck in a class that kind of struggled to find an audience for so long, and finally has a deck that looks good. And not only does it look good, but people are interested in playing it. I would kind of hate to nerf it uh, preemptively. There was a case where Big Demon Hunter, where it kind of finally be, been, become viable, and then they nerfed it, but the nerf ended up being justified. For Hound Hunter, Hound Hunter for me is not as scary as Big Demon Hunter was uh, in, in the previous patch. Because Hound Hunter, I'm sensing some decks that are capable of developing an edge against it, uh, especially Unholy. Uh, the transition to the older iterations that's happening right now is giving Unholy a clear edge against Hound Hunter, something I didn't see three days before. Like three days ago, I didn't see this edge. It looked very 50-50. Now it's turning to 40-60. And Rage Warrior is also, I think, is a matchup that looks like 55-45 for the Warrior. I'm seeing enough stuff that beats Menagerie Warrior 2. The refinement process is helping. And it might be able to develop an edge against uh, Hunter as well. 
So I'm seeing a process of refinement through other archetypes that suggest that the green matchup spread that looks kind of scary and makes you want to nerf Hunter preemptively because of Paladin, uh, because of Paladin nerfs, kind of makes me want to just keep this deck around, not touch it. Uh, but we'll see what they do. But the deck is pretty good. Uh, if you're not running into constantly running into Paladins, I think uh, Hound Hunter is going to be in a good spot. Yeah, so there's, there's two things there that uh, I kind of wanted to dig into. The first was uh, talking about how Pure Paladin and Hound Hunter, they both had these, you know, these holes in the deck that kind of got filled, um, specifically by dual class cards that otherwise they wouldn't have been given access to, right? The Horn of Winter giving, you know, superb off-board damage to Pure Paladin, that coming from Shaman, the Wind Fury, and then Hound Hunter kind of having this lifesteal, but also the AoE that it usually wouldn't have, um, and kind of giving it a unique spin. So those are really only possible because we got a dual class set. Um, I'm sure there could have been other strong cards that both of these archetypes could have received but it wouldn't have been the same type right and it's the type of cards that are kind of driving this interest um well in paladin i imagine it's larger the win rate that's driving the interest but even top legend players are still picking it up and doing well with it so it just once again like another you know you're saying things were big upping well we were upping dual class and it seems to have worked out really well so far yeah I i'm a big fan of generally stepping out of the class identity prison uh, and giving classes, um, you know, occasionally you don't need to do it all the time. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's really cool when a class previously doesn't have some attributes, doesn't have some trait, and suddenly gains that. And it adds a new dimension, especially when it comes to classes like Hunter and Paladin, which are historically fairly limited in what they've been able to do. They kind of do the same thing for a long time and don't have other levels to their gameplay and when you do that it's kind of refreshing i know that at giving paladin horn of the wind lord uh, when it has feast and famine and fork wealth of us and it's got the doomhammer burst damage and when you slap it on top of a deck that already had so much strength it seems like a poorly timed addition but uh conceptually i do like the fact that paladin got that card just because it changes things up. Oh, Paladin suddenly has off-board burst when it didn't have it before. I think that if Pure Paladin were a balance deck or a tier two deck and it had Windlord, I think it would be really cool. I actually would rather maintain Paladin's new trait of off-board damage and nerf the other parts of the deck than remove that. Because if you remove Windlord right now, then Pure Paladin goes back into these the, being this one-dimensional deck that does the same thing every game and and kind of like has this one no neat weakness that to its game that people constantly exploit makes it a, a deck that's really good at low ranks of ladder and a very kind of bad at high ranks of ladder, right? Uh which can be difficult to balance. But if Pure Paladin, if if it kept when Lord, but it just maybe you knock its early game or you knock the Purator, for example, the late game consistency, which is very much enabled by Purator. And you just keep the Doomhammer package and it would be as powerful as a tier two deck. I think that would be really cool. I think that would be a nice thing to do. And when you look at Hound Hunter and how much more interesting the deck becomes because you gave it AOE and you gave it Lifesteal, 
I really wish they would do it more often. That they would give classes those kind of small wrinkles to their gameplay that can be very refreshing. So in that sense, I, I know it's easy to criticize Horn of the Windlord, but I'm actually gonna be I'm gonna sit here and praise it because I do think that this is something that Team Five should not be afraid to do, and they should be encouraged to give classes new dimensions to their gameplay because that makes them more exciting and makes them more interesting. Again, from a power perspective, Pure Paladin was a very powerful deck at all facets of the game other than off-board damage, and then you gave them the off-board damage and created the perfect deck, the ultimate deck. And that was a problem balance-wise. But flavor-wise, I'm kind of happy with Pure Paladin is right now with the Doom Armor package, as long as it's nerfed to the point where its power level isn't choking out the format. So I, I am a fan of what the dual class cards did. And I do think for the future, we don't have to limit ourselves to dual class cards in order to give those classes new dimensions to their gameplay. Like sometimes I would wish that Rogue did something different maybe, or maybe Druid did something different, or Warrior became, became kind of different. You, you, you gave the class something that normally doesn't have. I think that can be an exciting uh, moment in the Hearthstone timeline. And again, it doesn't have to be all the time, but occasionally, once every few expansions, you do something like this and it suddenly changes things up. It, it, I think it can be very refreshing. And I do think that for me, Star Power or Hollowhound, I am not, just, just to make it clear, I barely have historically played the Hunter class. Barely. I like, I am one of those guys who does not play much Hunter. Yet, I am a, I do recognize that very often when Hunter is one of the best classes, I think the meta is in a good spot uh, in general. It's more likely to lead to that situation. Uh, but Star Power and Hollowhound are one of my are two of my favorite cards in recent memory, just because they made Hunter so much more interesting that I actually kind of want to play it. Um, someone again who's normally not a huge Hunter guy, uh, so I do wish that they would do this. I don't know if more often, but they would not be afraid of doing this. And I'm hoping then Horde of that the Horn of the Windlord experience does not dissuade them from doing more of this kind of stuff in the future. Yeah, the st like just talking about the nerf potential. Um, obviously, this is like statistical justification for nerfing Hound Hunter. Um, or arguably, you know, I don't want to say obviously there is, but there's arguably a, a reason. Um, it does remind me a little bit of a comment. I can't remember if it was Ixar or Alec Dawson, uh, two people who we love on the VS podcast, uh, who talked about when they nerfed Bran in Highlander Hunter and how... It was, it was Alec Dawson. Yes, and, and he, he talked about how, you know, there was a power level reason why they could nerf Highlander Hunter um, just preemptively just to handle it. But in the end, they kind of regretted it a little bit because it doesn't really matter that much. Like the the power level of like the numbers on decks don't matter as much as the feeling, right? Like are players having fun? Do players have options? Or the play rate? The play rate, like right, right. If you have a deck that's very powerful, if you have a deck that's very powerful, but seven percent, but it has a seven percent play rate, or it, it would normally struggle to find an audience otherwise. Then maybe you don't nerf it. Maybe you just leave it alone. How many people do you see? How, how many complaints do you hear about Hunter these days? This deck, 
emerged. It's quite common. It's popular. People run into it on ladder. Yet I don't see people complain about it. People don't say this deck feels bad to play against. So I think that this deck, if, if there's a deck that exists in the format that's strong, yet does not feel bad to play against, I think you keep it around. I think you want to encourage people to continue playing it because there will always be strong decks, right? There will always be, in every meta, there will be some decks that are at the top of the power rankings, that they will have the highest win rates. But if those decks can be decks that don't feel bad to play against, I think that's the ideal format, right? Because you want the most powerful and popular decks to not be annoying, right? Decks that emit strong negative reactions, you would rather them being less popular and less powerful. And maybe you keep them around for the people who like playing those kind of kind of decks, but you don't want these decks to be like 20% of the format, right? Because then the format becomes kind of unbearable and there's a lot of negativity. But if the good decks are decks that people say, oh, you know, I don't mind queuing into this, then there is big value here. It's, it's, a, it's a valuable tra trait for a strong deck to have. So maybe you leave Houndhunter alone. I'm sensing that this is the deck that if it was the best deck in the game, I think people would not complain about it too much. Uh, it would not emit a strong negative reaction. So I would rather, even though statistically it makes sense, oh, you're nerfing the one bad matchup for Hunter, uh, let's nerf it preemptively. I'm saying maybe we should leave it alone and give other decks a chance to, to counter it, to really be conscious of it and try to counter it harder. Because right now everybody's worried about Paladin, right? Everybody's trying to counter Paladin, nobody's trying to counter Hunter. Maybe if Hunter was the best deck, then people would be able to counter it or they would focus on counter it. And I am seeing in the matchup spread over the last three days, as decks, other decks get refined, not even with a conscious effort to counter Paladin, but just other decks improving and maybe gaining an edge against Hunter. So I would rather just leave it alone. Um, I do think it's a positive deck to have in the format. Yeah, I could definitely see it going either way, but let's reel it back away from the future meta. Let's talk about the current meta again. Uh, <laughs> let's look at the talk about Mage, Zach. Uh, I know you've been playing a ton of Mage. Yeah, I've been playing again. I've been playing Spooky Control. I've been playing Rinathor Spooky Control. I have moved away from the VS reports. I have moved away. <laughs> I have. I have <laughs> abandoning VS reports yourself. Wow. <laughs> no, I am playing. No, I am playing Spooky Control. Fully recognizing that it's a it's likely a tier four deck with a very matchup dependent matchup spread. The matchup spread is very inconsistent, but I'm doing it to be happy. Uh, if I queue up Control Priest, I I'm doing it for my happiness. I just want to beat Control Priest and I want to beat uh, Spell DH. I do not like losing to these decks. And Spooky Mage gets the job done. And if you run forty cards, then you can add more tech cards for your feelings rather than them being more effective and it feels better it feels better for me but i do recognize it's not like i'm having a great performance with it i think my win rate is around 50 percent with the spooky control renathal and based on all available metrics uh the 30 card builds are better and this is what i would recommend if you want to win but I, again i i do this for my own happiness but when it comes to you know, mage in general, I think it's obviously the position is a little bit rough. Burn mage, again, burn based deck in this format, not so good. Um, 
And obviously, Spooky Control, there are a lot of skip matchups. Like, I run into Enrage Warrior, and I kind of want to concede on turn one. I see the Sanguine Depths on one, and I kind of want to leave because, again, it doesn't feel bad to lose to Enrage Warrior that much, but that matchup is so hard uh, because you don't have ways to clear their board. Like, Mage does not have, like, other than... Uh, uh, Star Power, which is very important in the meta. And if, even if you run 30 cards, highly recommend run Star Power in your deck. Pretty much the only out in a matchup like in Rage Warrior. But even in that matchup, once they have a board with Imbued Axe, you cannot stop it. You can play Blizzard a couple of times, right? And Stall. But their board keeps getting bigger with Imbued Axe. And you cannot control it. Uh, so the matchup is really, really difficult. Um... Also, Relic Demon Hunter is is really bad matchup. So there's there's a lot of st stuff. There's a lot of skip matchups. But as I said, I'm doing it for my own happiness. Uh, when it comes to Burn Mage, I would like to see more data on Star Power. I don't think I'll get that data because I think people are very much attached to Sivara and uh, Infinitize Maxitude. I get it. I love Infinitize Maxitude. This is pretty much one of the main reasons why I'm playing Spooky Control because I want to play this card as many times as possible and see the cool animation and get the satisfaction from it going back to my hand. This is a really fun card. This is, again, one of my favorite cards. In general, this mini set, Adi Apocalypse, uh, and, and Festival Legends 2 has, has some great designs. And Infinitize and Maxitude is a card needed to be buffed, but that buff makes it feel so much better. And I love it. So, uh, but I recognize Mage is not in a great spot, obviously. This entire section is such a nice reminder to the audience that players are not rational. Zach is playing Renathal. Spooky Mage players aren't playing Star Power. What are we all doing? We're all just trying to have fun. No, I mean, Star Power is good and fun. Well, that's what I mean. It's not rational. Like, they need an excuse to play Star Power. But I'm sitting here having fun playing my uh, Tier 4 deck. And having a blast. And I'm running double Viper now in order to beat the Paladins and whatever. Maybe maybe we let them maybe we let the uh Death Knights all play dirty rat Zach. Maybe we just forgive forgive them. I mean if you're allowed to play Renathal. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, stop running dirty rat. Stop running that card. I had okay, I had a game. Okay. I had a game as a spooky control. Okay. I played against a control priest. They they ratted my uh, Romath. They also ratted my Kel'Thuzad. They steam cleaned my Fizzle. And they lost. Oh. Like, okay. Like, they ratted everything. They cleaned everything. They Theotard me. They did everything they could. And they still lost. Um, it, It's like... I. Disruption is just overrated. Yeah, top 10 plot twist. I didn't see that coming. Disruption is just so overrated. People just overvalue disruption so hard. It's good in some matchups. I recognize it. It's good in some matchups. But they often overvalue it in matchups where it's just not as good. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, moving forward from Mage. To something that isn't overrated. Uh, let's talk about Warlock. Something appropriately rated, I think. I think uh, Warlock is appropriately rated as pretty, pretty bad right now. Uh -huh. Control Warlock decks in general. Paladin is the nightmare matchup. On top of it, now it runs Horn of the Windlord, which it can use to shrink your Malganus and your Chad. 
and it makes it even worse, and you've got burst damage and divine shields. And it's an absolute nightmare for Chad Warlocks to constantly queue into Pure Paladin. I do not recommend that experience. Uh, but I will say that in the event that Paladin gets nerfed, there is some hope for Warlock, because I do think that it it's matchup spread if you take out the pure paladin being terrible is okay against other things it's possibly okay against other things but we have to wait and see what happens after balance changes for this deck to to, to do something and import lock looks pretty bad right now again it's like the sixth seventh best aggressive decks why would i why would i play that when there's so much better things to do and this is what's happening in the format uh rogue um Again, it's Miracle Rogue Robust. I think Rogue has suffered significantly from blank um, sets over the last year. You look at you look at Sunken City, March, Festival Legends, these sets did not hit the mark and are not helping the class diversify. And Rogue is kind of stuck just playing Miracle Rogue and not much else. And admittedly, Miracle Rogue at top legend is okay. It's a decent deck. It's really good against Enrage Warrior. I think the matchup against Pure Paladin is around 50-50. Um, it, it's got game. There's obviously some bad matchups like Control Priest is bad. Spell Demon Hunter is bad. But it's okay. At top legend. But that's it. Everywhere outside of that, Rogue is not really accessible to the rest of the players. There's nothing else to do. Uh, there's like... Pockets of secret rogue and and pirate rogue, but the deck is these decks are not good decks. I strongly feel I strongly feel that rogue needs like the next couple expansions for rogue are pivotal because if if it doesn't get good sets, then rotation next year is going to be very very rough. And I feel like we always say it every year, and rogue kind of ends up being okay. But I, I I strongly feel that because Miracle Rogue, there's nothing else to do with this class right now. Uh, it's just everything else seems very underpowered. And if they ever nerf Miracle Rogue again, it probably doesn't recover from that, even though it feels like it's the hundredth time that it got nerfed. And it's even now it's a vulnerable deck. It's no longer a deck that you need to be scared of or in that sense. So... Uh, I do hope that Rogue gets something else that's cool and fun. I feel like over the last year, we've had too many whiffs on this class. And this is kind of why it's pigeonholed to, to one archetype. Yeah, Spell DH got the Cockroach uh, moniker this week, but Ro Miracle Rogue is always this King Cockroach. I mean, that, that class, that archetype has endured so much at this point. Um, it is really bizarre seeing Rogue have this low of a play rate. I think it's easy to understand why. I'll give you a hint. Remember, why did I want to play Spooky Control Mage? Why do I insist to play in this tier 4 deck? Because it beats Control Priest and Spell DH. Guess what hard loses to those two decks? Miracle Rogue. There is absolutely zero desire for high MMR players to queue up in those into those matchups and consistently lose. I'm pretty sure this is the reason why uh, Miracle Rogue does not see much play, even a top legend. The reason is... People don't want to lose to those two specific archetypes that I think uh, emit more grievance than the average deck. 
I love that you're already looking to the next rotation, Zach, like way into the future. And I had not even considered how dark of a timeline this could be for Rogue. Yeah, I mean, we're so far away. It's, it's <laughs> exactly. silly to bring it up because <laughs> there's so many cards still to be revealed and be released. It's like 300. I'm just saying that Rogue's record over the last four sets in terms of giving it new archetypes has not been great. And we should probably you know, step it up. Um, okay, so let's get to Druid. And Druid feels like a class that we're not going to talk much about because there's not much going on. But there's actually something to talk about, Corb. Ooh. Uh, because, because I wrote in the report that some players have tried out a chat package, like a, a big Druid with an undead package with uh, Jailer, Thaddeus, Flesh Behemoth, and it looks inferior. I take it back. I take it back. Whatever I wrote in the report, outdated, obsolete. That happens with data and metal developments. I'm seeing new builds of an undead flesh behemoth kind of per deck. Uh, and it looks promising. It looks better than the list that we have in the report. Uh, it runs, basically what you do is you run, it's very similar to Chad Warlock, in which you run an ETC that has a Baron, Riven, uh, a Rivender War Rider inside it, so that the Flesh Behemoth that you tutor with Wamper specifically pulls out not War Rider. You've got uh, a Mishmash Mosher, which gives you comeback potential. Like, uh, you've got Obviously, Thaddeus, which is the best undead you can cheat out with a Flesh Behemoth Death Rattle. And you also have Jailer, which is very good uh, if you manage to, if like the Thaddeus manages to survive a turn and you got off one mana Jailer, you can just end the game on the spot. I think the big difference maker with these new iterations that are better than the older iterations that I said were inferior to the, the established Big Druid deck is the addition of Fanboy. Uh, Fanboy is a card I would run two copies of in this deck. The The thing is, when you cheat out big stuff and you give them lifesteal, it gives you huge recovery potential. So I would run two Fanboys. I think this deck can be improved. Like the build that I see promising runs one Fanboy. I would run two. Uh, the build that's popular on lot right now runs Doomkin. I would cut Doomkin. It's not a good card. I would run two Fanboys. And, uh, uh, yeah, like the Mishmash Mosher, this deck also runs uh, Attorney at Maw, which gives you the Mosher-Maw combo uh, that basically clears the entire board. And obviously, Mishmash Mosher is very good with Jailer. But mostly this deck, the goal of this deck is get Death Boss and Whomper, use Hedge Maze on it, uh, pull out a Flesh Behemoth, cheat out Undeads, blow out your opponent. Also, uh, people, another big card that people are adding to this deck that I think are making a big difference is, again, again, another anti-burn card in Kolak, which is, or is it Kolak? Uh, excuse me if I mispronounce it. Kolak, uh, sure. It's probably, yeah, it's the turtle, basically the turtle. The turtle. Uh, very good witch head mage. Uh, uh, gives you an opportunity to just armor gain. Against things like Frost, Aggro Deathline, for example, that can be very valuable. Uh, so it's also a good card against Paladin. 
So, and, and the matchup against Paladin is terrible. So this build is very, very promising. And on top of it, the main matchup that's bad for Big Druid is Paladin. So in the event that Paladin gets nerfed, I think this deck could be a breakout performer. It could be a breakout deck. And again, dramatic changes over the last three days since the report came out. I'm seeing this build pop up. It's showing very different characteristic to the older iteration that I analyzed through the data around Tuesday, Wednesday, right? There's been a few days since and Big Druid with an undead package and Flesh Behemoth is real. And I think it would be it could be a breakout deck post-patch after Nurse to Paladin. And it's solid right now. It's pretty good even now. If you don't run into Paladins, this deck is serious. This is a serious deck. Um, so big development. Druid could be back in a significant way. And that's helpful because Druid really needed that. And I'm sensing that there's more desire to play this iteration compared to the older iteration that's in the report. Uh, I think it's probably because it's just cooler. Also, Fanboy, I think, is probably a very satisfying card to play. But run to Fanboys. There's a build. I don't remember who made it. I will make sure to credit uh, whoever made it in the future. And maybe uh, um, Evil Dave can do some research and come up and for the summary and post where that deck came from. But cut the Doomkin, run Fanboy. That's immediate something that I can see that you should probably do. And uh, yeah, big undead druid, Corb. This is this deck is real. Chad Druid, Chad Warlock lurking around the corner, just waiting for the paladin. It's the real Chad. It might have been out chatted. I'm waiting for the Chad meta. <laughs> yeah, it's out chatted the warlock. Uh, it's the it's the biggest Chad. <laughs> so yeah, yeah Giga Chad Druid. Um, I am interested. Like I'm looking at this build right now. I had to double check. Well, I'm not saying a rake. Uh. I wonder if that's just because there's no tambourine, there's no weapon, so maybe Rake is a little... There's no weapon, so you don't want Rake. Rake is actually kind of uh, traps you into, you know... I mean, <laughs> trap is not the right word. It does not... Right, unlike the older iteration of Big Druid, this does not run tambourine, which makes Rake harder to use. So you just drop the Rake, and you your removal are your minions. Basically, your removal is cheating out a mishmash monster... And putting uh, a tourney and maw, giving it immune, and just blowing out your opponent that way. Ugh, I still just love saying Mishmash Mosha uh, as fast as I can. Yeah, I love that card's name. Yeah. And it's perfect. Yes. Um, okay, Shaman. Uh, last class. We just got a massive meta breaker, Zach. You just like talked about all this stuff in Druid. Um, what about Shaman? Yeah, it's, it's, it's generally a meta breaker, I think. Especially after the patch. But yeah, Shaman... Um, yeah, so in the report, we talked about the possibility... First of all, okay. Older iteration of Totem Shaman, Just Run Bouncer, and Totem Carver, Remix Turn Recover. Good cards in the older iteration of Totem Shaman. But there's also a new iteration that runs Horn. And Horn looks very promising. I wouldn't say it's better that the Horn build that we have in the report is better than the Totem Shaman build that we... That the older iteration, which is the bouncer uh, and the totem carver iteration uh, additions, but it looks very competitive, and I think it can potentially be better if we made the tweaks that we highlighted in the report, which is cutting schooling. 
as incredible as that sounds, uh, schooling and bloodlust are actually not that good. Like they're not that great in this current meta. Uh, schooling is really weak against Paladin uh, because if you if they play a Divine Shield minion, schooling doesn't really like they play a Sanguine Soldier or a Righteous Protector, and you can kind of understand why schooling isn't great. Um, so I I would just cut schooling. And Bloodlust is not very good right now because you'd rather run Horn, and Horn is really good against Paladin. It's not just a good Paladin card. It's also good against Paladin because if they play a Disco Mole and they buff something, then Horn of the Windlord offers you removal. What Horn of the Windlord also gives you is off-board damage. So you don't have the Bloodlust, but you have a way to still deal damage to the opponent even after they cleared your board. But Totem Shaman really doesn't need to worry about clearing boards because this deck is the reload king this deck can constantly reload the board especially when you find megatha you draw five cards in this deck and pff, you're gonna last forever um so totem shaman i think I, i'm very curious about the windlord build i think it might be eventually become better than the older iteration the only question is if you cut bloodlust and they know they don't play you don't play bloodlust does that have a negative effect? Obviously, I need time to to evaluate that. Yeah, it's always interesting when um there are these hidden hidden information associated with certain cards. Uh, you obviously see it sometimes with secrets, which are um like you know the only card that you can get into play without actually knowing what it is. But the idea of not playing Bloodlust, not having to play around things, that can definitely cause a big shift in how you know, reactive players have to be to this uh, this type of deck. I, I remember back in the very old school days, I ended up cutting Force of uh, Nature and Savage Raw from a Druid deck because I was constantly thinking that players were already playing around it. Um, now, that was when I was very new to Hearthstone. I'm not saying I was meant to do that, but it's what I was thinking at the time. I mean, you have to you have to just give it time and wait and see. I do think sometimes uh, these uh, points are overrated. I'd agree. Overestimated. Uh, but... We do have to keep it in mind because we don't want to jump into conclusion that this is the better iterations we have we we have to see. But I do think that the horn build of Totem Shaman with Megatha and basically just two sp- just totemic evidence is the only spell you run. I think has a lot of promise, and it's really cool. And Megatha is a really cool card. Also, one of my favorites in the main set in general. This main set ha- has given a lot of really cool cards, and this is one of them. Uh, Megatha is is really neat. And that's it for the format. Again, based on history, I do expect a patch this week, this upcoming week, because it's always like two weeks after a big patch. I don't think it's going to happen. It's going to happen either Thursday or Friday. We'll see. If there is a Thursday patch, then there will not be a report this week, but there will be a post-patch impression podcast probably Sunday or Monday. We'll see. Um... Uh, but yeah, I think that if you nerf Paladin and maybe nerf Spell Demon Hunter because that deck is uh, drawing a lot of ire, I think the meta behind those two decks is pretty good. It's pretty solid, and I'd like to see the seed being developed and close out this expansion uh, the last two months with with the field that we currently have. A big Druid is really exciting for me. Uh, it could bring Druid back on the map, and if Druid is back on the map. That means that every deck is on the map uh, in the event where you you nerf the the outlier at the top. 
So, uh, also, if you nerf Paladin, that could bring Warlock back, for sure, because that that is a very bad matchup for, for Warlock decks in general. So I see potential for big diversification of the format as long as you nerf the outlier at the top. So I'm actually, even though I don't really, I, I generally don't know what kind of changes they end up making, um, I, I see promise in whatever happens next. So that's really cool. Yeah, every oct, uh, every class definitely looks like it has something, um, and especially like some of the archetypes, some of the classes that looked, uh, you know, a little weaker or a little, um, you know, uninteresting before the mini set, like shaman. They like totem shaman has these new builds to try, right? From the from the mini set, so that's also a, an exciting thing. Yeah, horn of the windlord. I think it's really cool in totem shaman. I think this new build is really cool. Yeah, so we'll have to wait and see what they end up doing with nerfs. Like we know they're doing Paladin. Well, we we know that they're doing Paladin, um, but we'll have to see beyond that. Um, it could be a very exciting meta. Often, like we get these really, uh, really balanced, diverse formats at the very end, and often it's on a very tight window. But because we got the mini set so early in this cycle, it feels like this time we might be able to have an extended run. Uh, where we have this very balanced, potentially uh, diverse format. Yeah, usually Team 5 nailed the second patch over a new format. Um, the first patch is more difficult to execute well, but I do think that this first patch of the audio apocalypse, uh, if you just get Paladin down, uh, uh, and again, possibly Spell Deage, then I think there's a lot of promise of of a very diverse format, especially with the recent developments that I'm seeing from Druid, uh, and considering taking into consideration what Paladin mostly keeps down, and the, you know the class that suffers most at the hands of Paladin is Warlock. So let's see, uh, let's see what happens. I'm excited to see what the changes are and what the effects are going to be. We're going to be uh, obviously if there's no report, uh, tune in to the next podcast where we will be able to cover this uh, post-patch format. Again, assuming there's a patch next week. Looking forward to that conversation. Um, Now, listeners, a reminder, you can always help support us here at Vicious Syndicate by signing up for VS Gold or joining us on Patreon. Um, Evil Dave, always want to thank you so much for the podcast transcriptions. Thank you to Steven Sensei, and I hope everyone listening has a great day. Bye, guys. The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.